right, guys. Well, it's good to be back with you. It feels, uh, if I miss one week, it feels like it's been an eternity. So I feel like I haven't seen you guys in forever, but I'm glad to see you now. We're going to be going back to study our scriptures today, and uh, I'm going to be looking at a passage in scripture today that I feel has a very simple message. Uh, There's nothing really overly complicated about it. It's very straightforward, but I believe it also has a very powerful message, something that can apply to all of us. That's something that we need to hear. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Romans, we're going to be in chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8. And if you can, would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word? All right, starting in verse 8. Paul says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. You may be seated. All right, guys, so we're just going to kind of do this like we normally do whenever we go through a text. We're going to break this down uh, phrase by phrase and and talk about each part of it. And we're going to start today with a subject that we've started with before because it's a very natural subject to start with when you're preaching the gospel. We're going to talk about the love of God. In verse 8 it says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us. Now to demonstrate His love is to to prove it, to show it, to demonstrate it uh, by putting it out in front of everyone in what He's done in Christ. We're going to go ahead and look at our first Uh, passage for the day. We're going to look at the book of 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 and 10. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love not that we have loved God but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we see similarly here that God's love is manifest, that He has shown His love to us in what He's done in Christ. Uh, How has He done that? By sending His only begotten Son into the world. Uh, The the Son that is absolutely unique, absolutely beloved. If you could think of anything, anything that is a greater gift than this, you're a much wiser man than me. There is nothing better that God could have given for us than His only Son. And not only that, that we, being sinners, deserve nothing but death, should live through that Son, should have eternal life. Uh, In the giving of His Son, He expressed, He demonstrated, He showed His love for us, not because we loved Him. We didn't come to God. We didn't come seeking mercy. We didn't come seeking righteousness. The Bible tells us that God loved us. He is the one that came to us and gave Jesus, it says, as a propitiation for our sins. That's a a really big million-dollar word. We'll talk about it a little more later. Uh, He brings us forgiveness. He reconciles us to God. Right? He's brought us back to the Father. God's love is a deep topic. It's something that's talked about a lot. Uh, But it's something that needs to be talked about a lot. The Bible tells us a lot about it. Uh, I don't know if you can ever fully get your arms all the way around this subject. There's always more 
that Scripture has to teach us on the topic. And there's many ways that God has manifest His love towards us. Uh, you know, you can think about Him providing for us, right? The fact that uh, we got in our cars and drove here, that we have a roof over our heads and food on our tables. You can look around at what the Bible calls the very good creation of God, the heavens that declare the glory of God. You can look at all of the blessings that have been brought to us throughout our lives, how thankful we should be and how much that we have been given. And those things truly do show us the love of God. We should be thankful. We should remember those things. But none of those things compares to the amazing things that God has done by sending His Son to die for you and me. And that Son did so freely, not because He was forced to, not because He was drug along. The love of God is something that we should always be applying our hearts and minds to study. We serve a God who in all of His greatness, in all of His glory, in all of His power and majesty, in the Bible He is called merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, just overflowing in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now this is something, uh, the love of God, that some people just kind of gloss over. It's, it's too sentimental for them or they hear it too often or... This is beautiful Bible truth. We all need to take this to heart. The love of God is not just a quality that He has. It's not just an, an adjective. It's not just a verb. It's not just something that He does. Love is what God is. He is love by His very nature. It, its extent is universal. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world. That no one has been denied the love of God. We're told about the value of the love of God. That it's greater than can be imagined. In Psalm 36, it says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. And in Psalm 63, we're told, Your steadfast love is better than life. Scripture tells us that it is everlasting. It's never-ending. It is steadfast. In Jeremiah 31, we hear, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In Psalm 136, we're told, Give thanks to God, for His steadfast love endures forever. And that love is what motivated Him to seek out and save lost sinners. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. In Galatians 2, it says, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. As believers, uh, we've talked about it before, we're called to imitate the great love that God has shown, to walk in love just as Christ did, to love each other the way that he loved us. And we're reminded that we love because he first loved us, that he is the one that sought us out. Why does that matter? Why do we always have to talk about the love of God? Why is this a great place for us and for the Apostle Paul in our passage to start? How, how could it not matter? Uh, knowing that uh, God's love is eternal. It lasts forever. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to grow tired of you. His love will never grow cold. It is steadfast eternally. 
He's never going to reject somebody that comes to him. The Bible says, he who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. We know that we can cast our cares on the God of love because he cares for us. We trust that we will grow in our faith. We won't remain stagnant because a loving father disciplines and teaches his children. The love of God affects our lives in every way imaginable. As believers, we have to come to know, not to question, to know the love of God that he has for us sinner and saint alike believe and cherish that God loves you. That might sound sentimental, but that is Bible truth. That is what Scripture says. And going beyond that, it says that He loved us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Uh, back in our, our main text, Romans 5, 8, if you look at the verse right before that in verse 7, it says, Scarcely for a righteous person will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. Right? Would we die for a good person? Some of us maybe would. But God goes far beyond that in that He has not just died for the good. He's not just died for people that love Him. God has died for the wicked, the ungodly, those who are in rebellion and running away from Him. What he, his love surpasses the love of man by so much that they're not even comparable. His love extends to all. If you will, turn with me to our next passage in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. We're going to be talking about while we were still sinners. All right, verse 1 says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So this scripture tells us that us, all of us, were once dead in trespasses and sins. We were spiritually lost. We were living in sin. We were walking in iniquity, unpleasing to God. That we were friends with the world, the evil world that's around us, when the Bible tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. This passage in verse 2 talks about the prince of the power of the air. That's, that's Satan. right? Uh, the wicked are still under his control. In the Bible, he's called the God of this world because so many people follow him. And we're told that we once conducted ourselves in the same manner as others. We didn't live to bring glory to God. We live to bring pleasure to ourselves. And as such, we were by nature children of wrath, subject to the punishment, the consequences. That's what our actions merited. And we'll talk about that a lot today. Paul includes himself in this. He doesn't say that I'm exempt from what I'm telling you. And I'm not trying to depress you, but we need to remember. We need to remember that we were once dead in trespasses and sins. And you need to understand that that is not bad news. That is good news. It shows how great the love of God truly is. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there is not a man in all the earth who does good and does not sin. 
There is none righteous. No, not one. But one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is Luke chapter 5, verse 32, where Jesus tells us he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 19, we're told that he came to seek and save those that were lost. That's not what the fallen world around us wants salvation to be like. They don't want it to be free. They don't want it to be extended to those that are less righteous than they are. That's not how they think it should work. They think we just need to bootstrap it, fix ourselves. We should stay away from the wicked. Those people are unclean. They should be avoided. Right? In Luke chapter 15, all of the tax collectors, the sinners, right, the outcasts, those that were being avoided, were crowding around Jesus, coming to hear his teaching. The religious leaders were completely rejecting those people. They said, oh, look who Jesus is associating with. That could be you. That could be me. That could even be Paul. Uh, he says of himself in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, or the greatest, the most. Paul was humble. Paul was a holier man than any of us will ever be. The truly amazing thing about the salvation in Christ is how he has offered it to people that don't deserve it. You didn't deserve the mercy that God has shown toward you, and I didn't either. Those that are dead in trespasses and sins that Paul talks about in these verses, they can be made alive in Christ. We can do things a better way. Through His working through us, we can break free from the bondage of sin. We can live a way that is pleasing to Him. We can walk in a way that is loving in the way that He loved. Now back in our main text, uh, we see that Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means He died uh, in our place uh, and for our benefit. We're going to look at our next passage today in the book of Romans. If you'll go back just a page or two to chapter 3, uh, we're going to read verse 24 to 26. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 24, where Paul says, "...being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, justification later. That's being justified uh, but just know for now that to be justified is to be pardoned, is to be accepted, right? It, it's, uh, and we'll get into more details as we go. Uh, on the basis of what Christ has done for us. And we're told in uh, verse 24 that we are justified freely by His grace. Well, what does that mean? That means that God's grace, God's forgiveness, His mercy is not something that we buy it's not something that we labor for. It's not something that we are born into. 
It's not something that we have any claim on in any way. It is free. It is offered to the sinner for no price. He says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is redemption? What has God done in redeeming us? To redeem us means to set us free. To take a prisoner and pay a price to have that person released. Uh, It means that somebody that is in bondage or slavery or evil is purchased and let go. That is what Christ has done for us. We're told that he is set forth to be a propitiation, right? That's uh, him covering our sin, reconciling us to God, bringing us back to the Father through faith. Now, that should sound familiar, right? That sounds almost exactly like Ephesians 2.8, that we are saved by faith or by grace through faith. Uh, what does that mean? Grace is the channel. Grace is how the salvation and justification come to us. What role does faith play in this? Faith is the means by which we take hold of that salvation. Faith is the open hands that accepts the gift that God is giving to us. We're told that that faith is in His blood. Jesus' death is what saves us. Uh, We're told that this is to declare His righteousness. That His promised plan to save sinners shows His righteousness. That He is just. That It's not that He has uh, cleared the guilty. It's not that He's turned a blind eye to sin. That's not what God has done. God has dealt with sin in Jesus. And that He is the justifier of sinners because He does not count their sins against them because of the blood of Christ. And I know there's a lot in those verses. I felt like when I was writing that all down, I was going to be teaching a whole theology class by the time I got done with those three. But I I tried to get through there as quick as I could for you. There's a lot of truth packed in here. And by God's free grace, He has demonstrated His righteousness. He's offered salvation to us 100% justly, where all of the glory, all of the credit, it is all His because He is the one that has accomplished it. He talks about the blood of Christ in this passage because the suffering of Jesus on the cross is so important. It is so central to everything we believe. You can't talk about it enough. You can't think about it enough. You can't understand it well enough. This is the center of everything that we believe, that He has died for us. The Bible says the just for the unjust. The only sinless human being who has ever lived, the only one who didn't deserve the death penalty, freely gave down His life in our place. He bore our sins in His body on the cross. It says that we were cursed in Galatians chapter 3, but that Jesus became a curse for us. The Bible says by His stripes, His suffering, we were healed. I thank God for Jesus' death on the cross that has set us free. Thank God that we were once enemies to God, but now we've been reconciled. Thank God that I am a sinner, but that Christ, because of His blood, offers me forgiveness. Thank God that the ransom is paid, that I am set free, that Jesus has dealt with our sin, that He has overcome our enemies. And the prince of the power of the air has no power over us because Jesus has died for us and that He has given us victory over death itself. you imagine how comforting that can be? 
Do you remember the first funeral you went to as a believer and you knew that that person was in heaven? That did it not bring a little bit of, of comfort, maybe even a smile to your face to know that there was no pain, that they had overcome death itself? In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read verse 9 back in Romans. It says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So we've talked about Jesus' death. I want to talk a little bit more about justification. I think it's a very important subject for us. If you'll turn with me to our next passage in the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus 3, starting in verse 4. All right, starting in verse 4. And Paul says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we're going to talk about all of this a little bit, but we're especially going to hone in on verse 7, having been justified by His grace. Uh, justification, what that is. I know that that's, just, that that's one of the salvation words, right? Now we all kind of know what it means, but nobody really knows what it means. Ju justification is a, a legal word, right? Think, think of a courtroom with a judge. Justification is that judge declaring this person righteous. Uh, if you know what it is to be condemned, justification is basically just the exact opposite of being condemned. Right? So that's what we're talking about. The most important thing in Scripture about justification, us being declared right by God, is that it is by faith. It is not by works. That is over and over and over again. You will read it in Scripture. And if there's any doubt about that, verse 5 should get rid of it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. He explicitly rules that out as the ground of our justification. He saved us by His mercy. It says by the washing of regeneration, the cleansing of our sins. Regeneration means being born again. The Bible says we must be born again to see the kingdom of God. That as believers, we are new creations. We are new people. The old is passed away and everything has become new. We're also told that He has made us children of God, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Uh, but I want to deal with justification. And it says justification by grace. We have been justified by His grace. Uh, that means that it comes to us by God's mercy, not by our merits. Uh, Romans eleven six says, If by grace, then no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So the important thing about that is they, they don't go together, right? Grace and works are opposites. They don't, they don't mix. It's, it's one or the other. And the Bible says it is by grace, not by works. Romans 3.28 says that we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. That we are received and pardoned by God by faith alone. There is nothing added to it. It is not faith plus anything. 
I don't want to leave any, any doubts in any of your minds. You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself in John 5, 24 says, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. And on the other end of that, justification is not on the basis of law keeping. That's legalism. Uh, that's, that's a false gospel, according to the Apostle Paul. That's not even what the law is for in Scripture. In Romans 3.20, we're told by deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law in Scripture shows us our sin. It shows us our need for a Savior. It does not save us. And being justified in Christ, I told you that's being declared righteous by the judge. We have a righteousness that is not our own righteousness. In Philippians 3.9, we're told that the righteousness is not our own, but the righteousness of God through faith. We're told that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And with that righteousness, with Jesus as our righteousness, we will never be condemned. The Bible says, and again, you can imagine a courtroom scenario. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. There is nobody to accuse you because Jesus has taken your sins as far as the east is from the west. And that brings us to the last point I want to talk about. At the end of verse 9, it's told that we will be saved from wrath through him. So we're going to look at our last verse in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Romans 12, 19. Where Paul tells us, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we can be confident that if God has sent Jesus to die for us, if we have been justified by faith in him, that we will be saved from the wrath to come. Right? Wrath is God's anger against sin, his punishment of sins. And Romans 12, 19 tells us that we are not to avenge ourselves when we're wronged. Well, we're not to seek out revenge because vengeance is of the Lord. Uh, I want you to notice in verse 19, it says, For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It doesn't say that there is no vengeance, that there is no being repaid. That's not what he said. It doesn't say there's no justice, that God is just going to look the other way. He just tells us that that is God's prerogative. God will take care of that. That's not ours. We shouldn't be trying to take that away from him. Our job is to pray for our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to overcome evil with good. But it is a fact of Scripture that wrath, vengeance is going to come. And I wouldn't be doing my job standing up here if I didn't tell you that. If I didn't tell you that eventually sin has consequences. The Bible says that you reap what you sow. If you refuse to obey God, if you reject His Son, if you live in sin and Jesus' blood has not washed those sins away, there will be a price to pay. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
uh, he calls it many things, the second death, uh, the lake of fire. That's what ultimately awaits. And we know uh, we're not happy, but we know that most people are going down that path. Uh, in the book of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us, Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the way, and difficult is the or I'm sorry, narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. But we can take comfort that if God has justified us now, He will save us from that wrath to come. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. He is the only name under heaven by which we've been given to be saved. And Psalm chapter 2 said, Blessed are all those who take refuge in the Son. He is our protection. He will save us from wrath. The Bible tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God says that God has loved this world so much that he sent his son to bring eternal life to sinners. Scripture tells us if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is God's promise to you. And if you do not know that that applies to you, do not leave today without knowing for sure. If you do know for sure, you now have a responsibility to take this gospel to the world, to let your light shine that people would glorify your Father in heaven. Guys, today is the day of salvation, and that is all that I have for you today. So, uh, like always, you guys know if you need anything, we will be here. You can come find me anytime if anybody needs anybody to pray with them or talk with them. And we're going to go ahead, and if you'll bow with me, we'll pray out for the day.